This morning I want to talk a little bit about righteousness. I uh, think it's a topic that we, sometimes we just kind of think, oh, righteousness, uh, you know, I don't know what it really means. If we think about it at all, maybe we don't really dig into it. What does it really mean? For much of my life, my understanding of righteousness had to do with living in a morally exemplary way. I wanted to be a moral example. I wanted to live a, a good, clean life. I wanted to, you know, do godly things and refrain from ungodly things. And I still want that. <laughs> but I thought that that was what righteousness was. I understood it to mean that I should refrain and distance myself from certain conduct. I thought that I was to behave in ways consistent with the commands of God found in the Bible, specifically the ones engraved on stone and uh, many others. That I should obey the law of the land in which I lived and I should abide by the rules of my church or my religious denomination. For me, righteousness equated to clean living. The Oxford American Dictionary would agree with that definition. It says that righteousness is the quality of being morally upright or justifiable. But the problem with that is that's self-righteousness, which is no righteousness at all. In fact, it's antithetical to the true meaning of righteousness. Interestingly, the origin of the word righteous comes from Old English, and the meaning of the original word was right manner. That's where Oxford Dictionary gets their idea. Right state or right condition. This definition is much closer to the mark. The Greek word rendered righteous is diakosune. I don't know if I have the emphasis in the right place. It's diakosune, I think. It means just, righteous or justice, or righteousness. It is the essence of that which is just, or of one who is just or righteous. The sune ending makes it an abstraction. It's speaking of, not of one who is righteous, but righteousness as a concept, idea, or trait. Righteousness fulfills the claims of that which is just and right which in the case of the believer are God's claims. And in the case of a non-believer, they are the claims of that higher authority which a person adopts as his own standard. Biblical righteousness is conformity to the claims of higher authority and it stands in opposition to lawlessness. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, righteousness is the state commanded by God. This, uh, and, that, and that the state which withstands the test of his judgment. As we find in Ephesians 2.24 where we read, And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. There's a huge statement right there. You know, we know that if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. The, all the old stuff has passed away, um, and you're new. And here in Ephesians 4.24, uh, we find it echoed in, again. The new man, 
the new creature, which after God, which means in, in the manner of God or just like God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. So if you ever wondered whether you are righteous as a believer in Christ, the answer is you were created, this new creation he made, you were created in righteousness and true holiness. This is conformity to all that he commands or appoints. God himself is the standard by which righteousness is measured. The righteousness of God means the righteousness which belongs to God or to oneself from God or godlike righteousness. Matthew 6:33 tells us, "But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness." Thus Righteousness in general is God's uprightness or standard apart from any laws, rules, or moral tenets to which a person is expected to conform. This is important for us to keep in mind because the world tells us otherwise. Day after day we are encouraged to judge good and evil, right and wrong. We hear, for example, that some politician has been accused of misconduct. We're told of an altercation between law enforcement and a citizen and we're presented with a few allegations and urged to form an opinion about the guilt or innocence of the parties involved. We're asked to form a judgment as to the righteousness of one person over another based on their apparent conduct at one point in time. But righteousness does not work that way. Because it is God's standard and God's uprightness, none of our conduct can ever stand up to the test. Indeed, Isaiah 64, 8 tells us that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. All the things we think we do right, all the things when we think we are behaving as great moral examples, it's junk to God. It's trash of the highest order. The righteousness of God is the claim which God has upon man. In order for man to recognize and fully submit to that claim of God on his life, he must receive God and his righteousness as it is offered, as a gift. We read of this gift of righteousness in Romans 5.17. For... If by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Righteousness is a gift. It cannot be earned. It cannot be worked for in any way. Because it is a gift, it must simply be received. We can only accept the claims of God upon our lives by placing our faith in Jesus Christ as our only claim to righteousness. Having done this, we become children of God as we learn from John 1, 12 and 13, where we read, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. 
which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is spiritual birth. This is the way righteousness has always been provided. In Romans 4, 11 through 14, we find Abraham referenced as an example. It reads, And he, speaking of Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that'd be us Gentiles, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is made of no effect. This passage is clear. Righteousness is imputed or set down to our account. And it is imparted or given freely because if it could come by obeying rules, then the promise is void, as we see right at the end. Righteousness equates to pleasing God. We read this in Romans 8, verse 8. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. This closes the door on self-righteousness. But there's good news in verse 9. But you are not of the flesh, not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Do you see that? If Christ is in you, the life of God is yours. And the reason it can be so is because you are righteous. Your righteousness in Christ is not based in any way whatsoever upon your conduct or your moral excellence. It has been imputed, set down to your account, and imparted, given as a gift to you because you have been reborn by the Spirit of God Himself. We see this miraculous change clearly stated in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and also in 21. 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And in 21 he says, for he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that's Jesus, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ is our righteousness. 
We are made righteous in Christ. Righteousness is a state of being that conforms to the standard of God. That standard is perfection, not just the perfection, not the perfection of human behavior. It is the perfection of God Himself. Jesus clarified the spirit of the law of Moses in his teaching that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5.48 he said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Being perfect is not morally exemplary behavior. Neither is it simply doing the best you can. It requires a state of being. It requires true perfection. This is the standard of God. This is righteousness. We find this clarified in Romans 9, 30-32, where Paul wrote, What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. Do you see that? They're trying to make themselves righteous by obeying rules. And they can't do that. No one can achieve it. We are not righteous because of anything we do or because of anything we refrain from doing. We are righteous because God made us righteous by spiritual birth. This is clear from passages such as Ephesians 4.24, which we read, that you put on the new man which after God or in the likeness of God or in the same way as God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's the new you. The new you has been created in righteousness and true holiness. God is not faking himself out. He's not simply calling you righteous. He's not looking at you through a filter of the blood of Jesus. He's not looking at you but actually seeing Jesus. He knows you intimately. He knows everything about you. He knows all of that, and He calls you righteous. He says, you conform to His standard. Can you imagine that? It's hard to swallow. But when we internalize it, suddenly we begin to realize that we are free to behave, to have attitudes and actions and behaviors that are godly instead of like everybody else in the world. The world defines righteousness as being morally upright or justified. Using this definition, they have created a standard of their own. But this is not the righteousness of the Bible. Galatians 3, 21 and 22 is an interesting passage. It reads, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which would if there had been a law given which would have given life, verily, truly, 
righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. This means that the law was never meant to make anyone righteous. Indeed, even if someone had been able to keep all 613 Old Testament laws, the result would not have been righteousness. The law simply shows people that they are hopelessly sinful apart from Jesus Christ. The reason the law was given was so that the people would recognize this fact and put their faith in God so that the promises of God would be delivered to them through Jesus. We see this point made in 2 Corinthians 1.20, which reads in part, For all the promises of God in Him, Jesus, are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God. It is in Christ that the promises are delivered upon. The idea that the law could make someone righteous, and even if somebody obeyed all of the laws, the result would not be righteousness, would not be righteousness, is illustrated really well by Paul. You remember he said, according to the law, I was blameless. And yet, Damascus Road happened. And yet, he was persecuting the church to death, he says in Acts. And yet, he realized later that as beautiful as his life looked on the outside, he was the chief of sinners in those days. He was, as Jesus put it, a whitewashed tomb, beautiful on the outside, but full of dead men's bones. The law could not make him righteous. It is in Christ that the promises are delivered upon. Nevertheless, the world insists upon setting up their own standards. Romans 10, 3 and 4 says it this way, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. The world does not submit itself to God's standard. Instead, they set up a standard of their own, this leads to conflict and pain in the world because not everyone agrees upon the standard. What's more, people find that they cannot keep their own standard and they work to change it. We hear of things these days like my truth and your truth. What standard is that? Whatever you say it is inside you, you decide. Consequently, it ceases to be a standard and it becomes a moving target, making it even further out of reach. This is the delusion of the enemy. This is what the enemy does to people in the world. Scripture tells us that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. This means there is no law that makes anyone righteous because Righteousness is conformity to the standard of God, so only God can make us righteous. We can only become righteous when we stop defining righteousness as rule-keeping or moral, ex moral excellence. 
and put our faith instead in Jesus' claim that he will give us the righteousness of God. Jesus gives us the righteousness of God by bringing about our spiritual rebirth, our spiritual recreation. Because we are then born of God, we participate in his nature. We inherit traits from him. One of those traits is conformity to his standard, and that is real righteousness. This righteousness is the state of our inmost being, our spirit. We are righteous at the core, though we do not always display righteous attitudes and actions. That we behave in ways that do not reflect the reality of who we are does not change that reality. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. None of us act perfectly. None of us have perfect attitudes all the time. I sure don't. And yet, each of us stand righteous in Christ. That's how Holy Spirit can live in us. We can rest in the sure knowledge that we are indeed righteous. Ephesians 6.14 encourages us to stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. When we know the truth that we are righteous as a matter of fact, we never need to doubt Father's love for us or blessing upon us. He's not faking himself out. He's not looking at us through Jesus' glasses. We are righteous, holy children of God. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you have made us righteous and compatible with you, that we are accepted in the beloved. We thank you for everything you've told us about who we are in Scripture. And I pray this morning that when we face trials and difficulties and hardships and stress and pressure and, and, and depression and just uh, we don't know where to turn, that we would look to those things that tell us who we actually are and that those things would, would strengthen our faith, that they, would, that they would call us to you, that we would look to find you and know you better in the midst of the most difficult situations that we can't solve and even if we knew how to solve them, we couldn't do it. We pray, Father, that you would be there, that you would show up, that you would, that you would make ways where there are no ways, that you would overcome, and that you would show us yourself, that we would know you better. That is our goal. We want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of you, and we know that that happens by Holy Spirit within us. May he strengthen us in our inner being, May we grow to know your great love for us in ways we've never imagined. I pray, Father, that in those moments when we are in despair or we are in grief or we are in trouble or we hurt, we're suffering, that we would remember to look back to those things which you have said are true about us and that we would rely upon them as fact and go forward living our life according to those things, 
from those things, from the truth, not looking for it. That we would live from blessing and supply, not looking for blessing and supply. We thank you, Father, for all that you are and all that you have done in us. In Jesus' name, amen.